When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's welcome back Coach Nick Davis. He is now the head coach at Ottawa University. I have not spoken to him since he was at Rose Holman. You were D.C. way back when. But now you're the big-time head coach at NAIA school. Coach, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think last time we got together was uh, in the the spring um, after COVID. Oh, what a horrible time. What a horrible time (laughs) that was. Uh, I had to do all three sports in a six-month period. It made you better. Well, we had football in that spring, and then we had football in the fall. So it, it, it never stopped. Uh, I called football plays during basketball practice in the summer. I think I was so uh, uh, ass backwards. But I was coaching at three different high schools, so that probably didn't help either. Yeah, did you ever show up at the wrong high school? I did not because one is by where I live, so I knew if I was coming that way, it was either I'm going home or I'm going to practice. Uh <laughs> The other one, I drive by to get home. So I'm like, okay, I'm either going home or i got to swing off this exit and get up into this school. And the other one I worked at, so it was like, I'm here anyway. Never had did to worry about that. Did any of them play each other? We we finally did. It was baseball. Um, I coached baseball at York. They had to play Addison and baseball. And I was freshman. And they were like, hey, you have to go to Addison to play Addison. I said, oh, I do? Can I just be sick that day and not go? But we went there, parents gave me a hard time, but it was all in good fun. They were like, why are you wearing green? And I'm like, yeah, I know. Why don't you coach baseball here? And I said, well, there was no stipend. You got to pay me. And then they all understood. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, then it didn't help that we won either. But it was 14 to nothing. Sorry. But that was the only time. Uh, it was very awkward for me. Um, yeah, no, I could see that. Uh, I could see it too, like from a, at least football, like, oh, this guy is here to spy or whatever and get our secrets. That's the great thing about York. Um, the head football coach at York is friends with our head coach, and then I'm friends with him. So when he sees me, we just talk. Um, if he if he listens to this, I don't really care. We were talking. He was like, "Well, what's your numbers like?" And I told him, and he goes, "I said, what's your numbers like?" And he goes, "Ugh, I'm gonna have like 220 kids show up." And I said, your problems are not my problems. And he's like, I don't have enough helmets or shoulder pads. And I said, again, your problems are not my problems. I was like, if if you want to cut some kids, send them on up north to my school about 10 minutes, and, and they'll get some playing time for sure. But yeah, he had 220 kids show up. 
we'll yeah we'll sell you some shoulder pads and helmets oh we could do that too like hey we got extra helmets shoulder pads we'll charge that's the other thing like i can't remember at charleston if you guys had to pay uh, like an athletic fee addison doesn't have to so we take care of it all and i and My, uh, senior year i think they did it was like 90 bucks or something yeah where i coach basketball it's like 250 bucks a sport um, I think at York, it's the same thing. I think York's 300 And at Addison, they pay nothing. Like, they just show up, here's your stuff. And we've got a fundraise for it all. And it's a pain in the ass to fundraise. Oh, I know all about it. Um, but w- w- is this year two or three for you? This there? will be my second year as the head coach, year three back at Ottawa. Um, I was a graduate assistant uh, for two seasons in 2010 and 11 before I spent 10 years at Rose Holman. Okay, so what kind of made you go from Rose Holman to Ottawa? Was it just to be a head coach, or was it that since you've already been there, you kind of knew what was going on? Yeah, you know, uh, their defensive coordinator kind of left in the in the middle of the summer, and uh, Coach Kessinger, the same head coach who uh, hired me for my first job, reached out, and, and Julian Mendez, who I was a graduate assistant, was the offensive coordinator, here at the time reached out and uh you know like any good husband happy wife happy life heather would you be interested in going out to kansas so we came out and checked it out and, and we knew coach kessinger wasn't going to be the head coach much longer in terms of he was had a plan of retiring um i just didn't know i was going to come back in uh, august and he was going to retire in november kind of like it it happened so uh-huh. uh, uh, knew there was a chance. Also knew there was a chance of us coming here, him retiring, our athletic department deciding that, you know, they wanted to go a different direction too, which is understandable. So uh, it was a, a big, uh, you know, roll the dice. But uh, my wife was excited. We live in uh, the Kansas City suburbs. So a little different than Terre Haute, Indiana, which really isn't around too much. Not that I didn't mind Terre Haute. Uh, but there's a lot more things in terms of our family and, uh-huh. and in terms of job opportunities for my wife up here or out here um, because we're near a, a huge metro. Uh-huh. Uh, so what was it like finally becoming a head coach? Because I know that was part of, part of your goal, even though you're at Rolls Home. And what was it like to take the keys, sort of speak, and, and take over? Yeah, you know, I've been pretty blessed in my career that whether it was here at Ottawa as a graduate assistant or at Rose Holman with Jeff Sokol, that everywhere I've been as the head coach has kind of let me be the head coach of whatever duty I had, whether it was defensive coordinator or strength and conditioning coach or recruiting coordinator. So I felt like I was in positions to make a lot of decisions really for the last uh, 12 years of my, you know, really all 12 years of my coaching career in, in college. I felt that I was around people that empowered me to make those decisions. Now, there was obviously things as a GA where I had a, a dumb idea and Coach K is like, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Or at Rose Holman, where I bring something up with Coach Schokel and he had the kind of the, the final say. But a lot of times that uh, those guys put me in positions that, um, oh, yeah, that, that's a great idea. Let's let's do that and and go from there. So I felt like for the last 13 years, I've been in places that have allowed me to make decisions and uh, the head coach, that was one thing off of his plate that he had to decide. And because um, I worked hard and I guess they were good suggestions that we ran with them, but we didn't always run with them. So now I'm in that boat of 
hey, can I get some good assistance to uh-huh. have some good suggestions so I'm not having to do um, everything. So I think it felt good, obviously. You, you know, you strive towards a goal. But at the end of the day, I just want to be a really good football coach and a mentor for for young men. So whether I'm the head coach or defensive coordinator or the equipment guy, um, I just want to be around a, a good program that supports us and, and around good young men. Was there a big change going back from Division Three to NAIA? Because now you're not under the NCAA rules and, you know, there's a little change there. Yeah, there's – in terms of – I've always – um, talked about the NAI level, like your, um, and really it's at every level. And in, in my mind is at the FCS level, there's FBS players playing at the FCS level, just, it's not the whole team. Uh-huh. And at the division two level, there's FBS and FCS players playing at the division two level. It's just not the whole team. Uh-huh. And at the division three level, there's scholarship football players playing at the division three level. Um, there's just not as many of them. And same thing with NEI. There's a mixture in my mind of a talent standpoint of, Hey, you got division two football players that were diamonds in the rough that didn't get found. And you have division three football players and you'll have bounce backs. And now with the transfer portal, you get all sorts of different stuff. It's just, you're not as deep uh-huh. as you go down levels. And then in terms of NCAA versus NEI, um, we still follow the same game day rules. Uh, the recruiting is a lot less. You don't have to think like, okay, can I message this kid right now? Can I, can I do that? Um, uh-huh. It's junior year. What date is this? Can I go to his high school and talk to him? Or do I have to bump, you know, at the NAI level, it's, Hey, I want to go to this kid's high school. I want to talk to him. Um, so there's a lot less recruiting rules, which means there's a lot less recruiting violations uh-huh. and uh, we kind of just govern ourselves. So, I think of that um, is less of a headache. Like I don't have to fill out all these reports and different stuff on official visits. And um, so that's a pretty nice aspect of it. Do you have to deal with the transfer portal as much? Or Yeah. That- so, you know, um, we just passed the rule at our level. So NCAA schools used to be able to go to my website, uh, click on our All-American and call him and not get need permission. Mm-hmm. They need permission, you know, say Illinois was like, yeah. okay, this kid's an All-American. Um, Coach Bielma could call call my kid right now and, and get him. He couldn't call Michigan. He couldn't call Rose Holman, you know, that kid at Rose Holman. But they could in NAI. And there again, there's not a whole bunch of Big Ten football players roaming around in the NAI. But I think what people were doing is, oh, here's all the All-Americans in the NAI. Hmm, let's contact them and see if they're interested in, in playing in a higher level. Um, vice versa, we were allowed to, we weren't until the summer allowed to do that to NCAA athletes. So now we can do the same to NCAA athletes. So it's really the wild, wild west. But I think it, it hurts our kids because say a kid wanted to, to leave Ottawa. Well, he has to go on social media and just pump himself because there's not an NEI transfer portal. Right. The NEI athletes can't get into the NCAA transfer portal. So, um, and I, I do think the transfer portal is good because it gives an opportunity and stuff. I wish there was more information in there. Yeah. Um, but what the transfer portal is for is that five-star kid who didn't pan out in my opinion, or the player that was an all American that can go make some money going to the next institution or go to a, you know, maybe a more prestigious school or a better playing opportunity. 
what I don't think the, and I don't know if that was really the intent of it. Um, what kids don't get helped out is I'm a division two football player and I was third string and I'm not happy with my situation. I want to leave, but I had a full scholarship at said school in, in South Carolina. Right. Well, now I contact that kid and say, Hey, we're you know interested in you. And I tell them that we can't offer him a full scholarship. Now that kid's like, well, no, I'm not leaving. Thinks he's going to go to this other school, sits in the portal and decides I'm never going to play football again. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it's good for if you're an All-American or you had the stars. I think it's bad for the man I never played. Uh-huh. Now the NBA kids, it's they have to plug themselves to leave. And it's in a situation where, you know, I don't know if you've seen the stats, 50% of these kids never graduate college because they were at set NAI school for three years. They transferred to go to Illinois. Um, they weren't good enough, get cut from the Illinois team, even if they got a scholarship. And now nobody's paying for them to finish their school at Illinois, and they're not coming back to Ottawa to finish their degree. They go XFL. Now they, you know, they don't have a football degree. They're not playing professional football. Or they don't have a degree, and they're not playing yeah. professional football. So, um that's my rant on recruiting, I guess. Well, I was going to say, I've talked to college coaches, and there's great, there's a lot of good stories, and there's a lot of bad stories. And these kids will just sit there, and I don't think NIA gets talked about enough because all you see is Division One, Division One. Well, if you go talk to, you know, one AA, Division Two, II, Division Three, NIA, it's all different. And I, that's why I don't trust what the media is telling me with transfer portal stuff. I'm like, well, I'd rather talk to the sources, so I do. Some get worn out. Uh, coach at uh, Akron, the O-line coach, they got four transfers in. And he's like, I was never more exhausted than this recruiting cycle because trying to keep them, trying to make sure they don't leave. And then when they do leave, then I got to replace them. And then you're looking at high school. You're looking at the transfer portal. And then now you got to coach them because they're getting a guy from this said school that played a pro style, but we're a spread up tempo doing this. Can they do this? And so they're worn out. Like they're getting a little bit worn out from all of this stuff that's going on. And that's where I guess I appreciate this level is when we bring the kids on on a visit, it's, are you excited about graduating from Ottawa University? And when you do graduate from Ottawa University, what will you have done to make sure that you've had a um, great experience here? You know, if the kid can't envision himself graduating here, you know, we're not the right spot for him. Right. Um, we want them to be here for four years. And again, I get kids, priorities change and all that sort of stuff, just like coaches. Uh-huh. You know, how many big time coaches have stayed at the same place for four straight years that aren't the head coach? You know, it's it's asking somebody to do something for four straight. You don't know what's going to happen, you know, here in, in a month. Um, uh-huh. So there are different circumstances and stuff. So I do like the ability of the kids. It's just, you know, who can the kids trust to educate them on? hey, this is a good decision to go in the portal. You know, you're the ninth-string defensive tackle at Illinois and your school's getting paid for. I don't know if anybody's really going to come give you a full scholarship. You know, you were a two-star recruit out of high school. You should probably stay at Illinois and get your degree and uh, go on into whatever you want to do the rest of your life. Uh-huh. Um, and I get it, too. Hey, you got a chip on your shoulder. Go try somewhere else. But grass isn't always greener sometimes. Well, name, image, and likeness, too, and all that stuff they've got to deal with. Um, not saying there's tampering with it, but there is. You know, you can go make this money, X, Y, and Z. I know for a fact it does. I can't give away sources, but it does happen. 
Uh, well, what I'm hearing is a lot of these big schools, it's the first day of their official visit. It's all that. It's yep. all about here's the deals that we can do for you. Here's all this sort of stuff. And the second day is, okay, here's about our school. Here's about our football yeah. program. Yep. And kids being like, how much can I get here? And when they say, you can only get this amount, kid being like, nope, I'm out. You know, this school told me I could get this. And uh-huh. now some of these places, it's highest bidder. Uh-huh. So again, all that stuff is great. I want them to make money. If ki- kids can make money, great. It's just when it's wild, like you said, wild, wild west stuff, it's going to bite them in the ass at some point. Um and then you get in a, an Alabama uh, donor, and he goes up and, and talks to Coach Shea. You need to be playing this guy because I'm yep. paying him $2 million. Why isn't this guy playing? Um, now you're dealing with the people you want to have your back in your program as the alums and the, and the donators that you need this cash and them being you know making decisions within your program. Uh-huh. Well, that's what Deion Sanders said. He said it's the collectives that's the problem. It's not the actual players getting paid. It's collectives. And then people saying, you're going to make this when you come here. Or like, what can I make? And the head coaches go, well, we can't we, we, we can't say because it's collectives. We don't do it. They're, you know, they can't. And that's when they get mad about it. And then you saw the thing with Florida. He's like, well, I'm only supposed to get $2 million. Shows up. But you're not getting $2 million. Like, that's crazy. And yeah, it's, these kids need to sign contracts, but then the rules state that they're not allowed to sign contracts until they're there on campus. So, right. Um, you, as a kid, you got to really trust that these conversations are the, are the real deal. Are you glad you don't deal with that part of the headaches? I don't, I don't know if you deal quite with all of those headaches, but. Yeah, no, I think Lamborghinis coming in and, and giving all of our kids Lamborghinis and briefcases. No, we, we don't have to deal with uh, much of those headaches at all. Um, maybe we get a pizza time sponsor or free subway. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with that. That saves you money for food. Like, Hey, I don't have to go get into the budget. Like they can provide this budget can be used. Well, it's, it's, Hey kids, you need to provide value to these businesses to get paid. So if you're not playing and you don't provide any, social media value you shouldn't get paid so all the kids on my team that think they should be just getting checks what are you getting checks for you have no followers on social media what business wants to have you you know uh-huh. i gotta get on our team with a ton of tiktok he should cash on on his success some more because he's getting all these followers and stuff like go to a company you shouldn't go to nike they don't care go to a smaller company and maybe even if you're not getting paid maybe you're getting free gear out of it Mm-hmm. and um, bring value to that company. If you can bring value to that company, then you should get paid. It shouldn't be, hey, I'm getting paid just because I'm a five-star with no personality. Right. Do you have to, like, educate all your players on, like, that social media stuff on that side of it? Like, take extra time from doing all that? Like, that wasn't something that rose Holman because now it's blown up to this thing where you have to educate these guys more on yeah, social media. Um, we, we've partnered with some – um, social media companies that, you know, it's kind of taken me out of it because really the way the rules are written, like I can't go, like I can educate them, Uh but I can't make them do anything. Um, so it's educating them on, Hey, here, if you want to do this, um, 
you know, here, you know, I have 40,000 followers on, on Twitter. There's not one company beating down my door being like, man, can you advertise for me? Mm-hmm. You know, like right. it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things until you have millions of people that care about you. Like no company is going to dive in with the cash to, you know, get you to advertise. Um, being the head coach there compared to maybe division three, division two, is there extra responsibilities that you had when you first got there? Have you been able to delegate them or do you still have to do extra that they don't need to do necessarily? Yeah. I mean, in, in every NAI school is probably different. Um, I would say our setup here is very similar to the setup at Rose Holman in terms of staff structure. Um, but there's NAI schools and division three schools that have seven, eight full-time coaches. There's, NAI schools and division three schools that have two or three full-time coaches. So, you know, our staff is the same as Benedictine and and I believe their staff and and Benedictine, not in Illinois and Kansas is full of all full-time coaches. Uh Our staff has the same number of coaches, just half of them are full-time coaches and half of them are graduate assistants. So um, it's a kind of tough question um, because there's division two staffs that have 14 full-time coaches and there's division two staffs that have four full-time coaches. So every area is unique. Generally you'll find the teams that the conferences that send teams to the playoffs and deeper runs, those staffs are generally uh, have better resources than, than other schools. Um, But heck there's, there's a division three school that is just the head coach is the only full-time employee and, all of the other coaches are part-time employees. Mm-hmm. I know some NAIA where they teach high school. They're high school teachers, and then they go and coach football. Um, up here, in, like uh, at, losing my brain. There's a couple. Of yeah, that's one of them. And then, uh, uh, my God, I know the coach there too, and I can't think of it. They're up in the suburbs, and that's what they do. They're they're teachers. Then they leave at two okay. thirty. They get to practice by 3, 3.30, and they either do it for free or they get gear and they're coaching college ball or, you know, they get a stipend kind of like a high school and, and it's not very much. But... I think St. Saint, Saint Francis yes. and St. Xavier have yeah. some guys that are, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's a better deal for them to be a full-time high school teacher and, and make a few extra dollars being a, a college football coach. So And – um like the wide receiver coach at uh uh Saint yes uh yeah you said Saint Francis and Juliet yep uh he coached at Hensdale South and he left before I got to Addison that's what he does he teaches in middle school and he's the wide receivers coach and so he's like it's better because I still recruit but I don't have to do it all day I don't do you know I send messages you know on Twitter mm-hmm. or whatever but he's like I didn't have to give up anything for teaching I still get paid as a teacher I have my retirement I have this and I don't have to worry about it. And so he's like, it's glorified coaching high school. He's like, I can leave, go do this, and I coach college. And so a lot of – and there's a couple Division threes that are doing that too now. They get volunteers from guys that teach high school. They're like, oh, you want to come coach here? Uh, volunteer, and you're coaching college ball, and you're keeping your teaching job? And they go, sure. And then now they don't coach high school anymore. Yeah, it did. I've seen a lot of uh, retired – you know, high school head coaches or whatever that, hey, they, they get out of it, don't want to be a head coach anymore, but also don't want to be an assistant at a, at a high school level uh, for whatever reason. And 
um, have done that. So we had a, a coach, Doug Curry, been a high school head coach in Florida and Kansas that he came and was like, I just want to be away from uh, the, the parents for oh, uh, yeah. a year and uh, had an amazing time coaching college for us. Yeah, that's also a bad thing is the parents. You don't have to deal with that as much, but like I do, I have to. It's not fun. Your interaction's different, I guess. Like, we're going to take care of your kid. You know, it's going to be fine. Me, it's like, why is the kid not playing? Or why is this kid playing? Or, you know, Johnny's better than so-and-so. And they just walk up to you after a game like nothing. They'll just walk up to you and talk like nothing. And, you know, that's how it was in Charleston. But whatever. Your guy's the head coach again there at Charleston. Old Halsey. Oh, yeah, Coach Halsey, man. I'm excited to see um, what they do there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Bad taste in my mouth there, but that's okay. I know, I know. He'll, he's a great uh, great guy to get him fired up. Like, those those kids will be ready to play for him. Um, that was, I think, uh, one of the coolest things um, about my experiences um, that he guys were ready to play. They wanted to play for him. So i um, excited to see him get an opportunity that they haven't, um, they did better last year than than what they had done. So uh, see if they can continue to go um, and win some more football games, maybe in the playoffs. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think they'll get turf next. Because have you seen Matt Toon's facilities? Very nice facility. Matt Ooh. Toon did a phenomenal job. So hopefully Charleston uh, pays attention and. It's, it's a, that and rolling. It's a small world. The head coach I work for now, he coached at Mattoon for a year. He's from – he went to Andrews High School up here, um, did a student teaching at York, and then a guy got the head job at – or not a head job, but a job at Mattoon, and he went down there for a year. I want to say it was 2010, 9 maybe. So it's just a small world. Yeah. Um, he was there for a year, then the guy that brought him – Got fired, so then um, Troy came in after that. Yep. Um, he got a room for those guys. Um, he loved Mattoon. He wants to move back there, but his wife doesn't want to live there because he's a head coach that if he could live in the cabin with no electronics, he would live in a cabin in the woods with nothing. So that's why he loved Mattoon. He loved that whole area. He was like, my rent was $400, and, you know, you could, you know, do whatever you wanted. So it was just a small world. Uh, now he he lives in Lockport, so it's just a completely different world. And then he drives to Addison, which is like 40 minutes every day. But um, what was I going to ask you? So you came in. Everything. Oh, well, go ahead. I was going to say everything's 45-minute drive in Chicago. Oh, it's stupid. It's so stupid. It's like, oh, it's eight miles? That's oh, going to take you 25 minutes. And you're like, What? Because was it from Charleston to Mattoon? It was like eight miles. It only took you like 10 yeah. minutes, yeah. if that. Or like Champagne. It was like, oh, it's 40 miles, which like, yeah, it'll take me 40 minutes. It's yep. fine. <laughs> yep. Up here, it's like, oh, literally, we just went to Battle of the Big Butts at West Aurora High School. And I live eight miles away from West Aurora High School. And I'm like, put in my phone just to make sure. And it goes, yeah, it's going to be 23 minutes. I'm like, why is it 23 minutes to go eight miles? Get a bicycle. Oh, it would take me an hour and a half to get there <laughs> in eight miles. Uh, oh, I live right by Matia, too. It's only like two miles. It does take me five. That's the only one that works. It's like, oh, Matia's 
five minutes down the road because it's two miles, three miles. I'm like, okay, I can handle that. Addison's like stoplights. That is Addison's 18 miles, and it takes me probably 20 some minutes to get there. And I gotta drive 75 miles an hour to keep up. I hate it. It's growing yeah, it's on me. Speed up there. I become a Chicago driver. I visited back home, and I'm the guy like you're going too slow, and I'm going like I've become a, a suburb driver because I've had to. Or uh, I don't know if you've ever recruited there. There's Morton High School in Berwyn and Cicero. Yeah, it's the biggest high school in Illinois, right? Yeah, it's split into two. That's where uh, John Grayson was the defensive coordinator at. Um, we were frenemies. We went against each other for two years. If they make the playoffs, it'd be 8,000 kids, like their enrollment combined. To get there, because they're in our conference, to get there, the mile is not very far, but it will take us an hour and 20 minutes to get there, hour and 25 minutes to get there, to go like 18 miles because of the construction and the traffic. It will take that long. And so every year, or every other year when we have to go to Morton, we're like, oh, why do we have to go to Morton? And then when we come back... It takes us 25, 30 minutes to get back. <laughs> and I don't understand it. I do not understand how people like to live up here in that traffic. When they like say there's traffic, it doesn't bother them. Then me, I'm like, this is stupid. You know, traffic should be a tractor or a wreck. Like, it's yeah, one, yeah. one of the two. So, good thing you live where you live, because it's probably not as busy. Up here, yeah, it's... Kansas City traffic's not, not, not too bad at all. Or Terre Haute. I know there's nothing in Terre Haute. Nothing in Terre Haute. Well, does that mean you go to Kansas City games then? You're right there. Yeah, we've been to uh, – we went to the Chiefs-Bengals games the last two years. Ooh, those are good ones. Wow. That's a good one. It was just on that show on Netflix I just watched. Oh, yeah. That quarterback. Uh, that's part of my, uh, my uh, away game movie watching. I'm going to watch those. Uh, be prepared to see Patrick Mahomes' wife a lot. That's all I'll say on that. It's more of about her than anything else. Well, good. She uh, owns a, ma- a majority of the women's soccer team here in, in Kansas City. They're getting ready to build their own stadium. I'm sure they talk about that. Oh, they did. I didn't know that about her, though. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, I was going to comment on your guys' facilities. I looked at a picture of the field. I'm like, man, you guys have great looking facilities like decent stands and a good football field. And then it's kind of cool that you in NAIA will have the track around the football field because colleges don't have that. I really like that feel to it. Yeah, no, we got some nice stuff. Uh, Our weight room's phenomenal. It was a $3.5 million project they just finished, which kind of helps us. You know, you, you recruit a kid from Dallas and he goes to one of those 6A monster high schools down in Texas and they have their own indoor facility and they come up on campus and you don't have nice stuff. They're just like, what is going on? Which is the majority of small college, you know, football. Right. Um, but now we have a, a weight room that rivals anything, you know, at our level. And uh, we've done some, some phenomenal upgrades in our locker room and we have a nice stadium and we have a nice stands and we have a nice press box and they really take good care of us here. Was that was that planned before you got there? Or did you have to come in and kind of say, if we want to compete, we have to get these things? Because that's no, what I that's no. what I would do. No, it was uh, 
I got here and I got named head coach in November and we broke ground or we finished the, the project in, in January. So uh, uh, Coach Kessinger left me a pretty good spot there. But everything we've done with our locker room has been uh, changed since uh, me taking over as their, our head coach. Because most coaches come in and they say, this is what we need. Uh, especially when you're new, because they're like, okay, he's brand new. We got to give him what he wants. And then after a while, it's like, okay, you've asked for enough. At least at the high school, that's what happens is, yeah. hey, brand new, I need this, 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 and this. And then when it doesn't work, they say, well, we spent enough. We, we don't need to do it anymore. Um, uh, so when you got there, did you come in and say, we're going to continue to run the defense that I want to run because I've had success with it? Or was there something you had to tweak when you got there, whether it was conference, whether it was – uh, the type of players you're going to have now, because yeah. Rose Holman, you have really nothing gets out about Rose Holman. Those kids' GPAs are like perfect. Like you're dealing with really, really smart kids. You could put in a lot more. And then, did you have to step back and say, "I can't be the DC. I kind of have to be the head coach"? Or do you still get involved and in calling? Yeah. That stuff? So um, first year, I, I came in to be the DC, and uh, we really continued to. Uh, you know, do the same things that we were doing at Rose Holman. And uh, I got here July 4th. The the kids come in August. So we had about a month to put a completely different staff. Or, you know, we had our staff here. Uh-huh. Um, but I think for the first time, you know, we were breaking in new coaches and new freshmen with a system. I was the one who knew the system and no one else uh-huh. in the whole entire organization knew the system. So uh, I probably tried to do maybe too much um, in year one, but figured out what we were good at and, and kind of bought in. And then uh, I got named head coach and uh, we promoted our, our special teams coordinator to, to the DC. And again, my, my always biggest thing is, Hey, uh, let's be consistent with terminology. So I said, hey, Wes, you can take this in whatever direction that you want within what we've already installed. And uh, then he took a Division II job, and uh, we brought in Dante Barti, same thing. Like, his philosophy and mine are similar but different. Um, He's more of a too-high bracket guy, and Uh uh, I'm more of a a cover one or Ripley's match Uh guy. So. We had all those tools. He was allowed to, you know, use the tools that we had and create new tools if he needed it. And uh, so our defense looked a little different. Um, and then I had to go actually on the offensive side of football and coach our, our running backs as my first year as the head coach just because of some staffing stuff. And then uh, currently we are uh, – our OOC left for a different job in April. So we promoted an offensive coordinator and – we are now in the process of building an offensive system. So whether I'm coaching offense or defense or we get an offensive coordinator, that our system of our program are um, consistent. Because uh-huh. um, we brought in Blake Mudd as our defense coordinator. Now everyone in our program knew our defense other than Blake, and I would rather have Blake adapt to it. So. Uh-huh. And he's ex- excited about it. Like, same philosophy as me. He'll learn it. And now every kid in our program that was a returner is going to know what we do. And, and that's kind of what we are trying to build consistency on, on offense now 
So if Coach Anderson goes and gets some sweet job down the road, the new guy comes in and, and will bug and play with what we're trying to do offensively. And then have enough tools within your offense and defense that, you know, we could be four down one year on defense. We could be three down on one defense. We could be 12 personnel on offense one year. We could be 10 personnel because the system's allowed for that and we're not completely overhauling things. Yeah, that's kind of where we're we're – we're in a situation where a quarterback's not coming back as a senior. You know, good luck to him. Wants to do baseball, focus on baseball, going to be a senior. Now we're scrambling because we were going to be the spread team with him. He could sling it around. I mean, he's 6'3", 210 pounds. Like, he put on a lot of muscle. He was 185 last year and then put all his muscle. Now we may have to be a 21 personnel team and say, hey, we got to be able to run the ball now because we don't have the guy to sling it around because we don't know who our quarterback's going to be. You know, we got two sophomores to pick from, but we don't want to play them. And now we got to keep everything the same. Like, what, you know, were they as freshmen coming into sophomore year or their junior year? Make sure the words are the same. Everything is so when they get plugged in, even though we might go 21 personnel, like, hey, nothing really changes. You just got, we're a little bit tighter now. We're not spread. Uh, and, And like you said, plug and play type of thing. And that's kind of what we're fighting right now. You know, especially when you have a plan, we all know what happens to plans. You know, they yeah. get thrown out the window. Well, I think if you look probably at the Illinois high school level or um, colleges, it's, you know, Alabama is always competing, but they haven't had the same offense and defensive coordinator um, over the last few years. You know, they're always somebody's leaving. But, mm-hmm. hey, the terminology stays the same. They may bring in a new OC that runs, you know, a few different things. But if Saban goes in the office and says, Hey, I want to run this, then that guy knows, Hey, yeah. All right. We'll run, you know, more power, even though the last school, they didn't call it power. Uh Um, But it's what the program is all, you know, everything should be built on on the program, not, Hey, this guy's got this phenomenal offense. Well, if they're a good offense or defensive coordinator, they can come in and, and do what the head coach is trying to design to, you know, because ultimately he's got the best vision of, okay, this is what our personnel on offense and defense is, and this is what I think. Uh-huh. Um, wise person told me, if you're going to be the head coach, you better make sure that you're doing on offense and defense and special teams what you want to do, not what the OC or the DC wants to do, because ultimately at the end of the year, if they're not successful, it's on me, not them. So you had to go to the dark side and go to offense. I love it. Love that you had to go. Yeah, back coaching to the O line this season. Ooh, yeah. There we go. Back to the roots there a little bit. Yeah, hard excited. And I've now coached everything um, other than uh, quarterbacks. Really, it's boring. Don't do it. It's really boring. It's it's fun in the moment when you're coaching in the game, but to watch them throw a ball forever is like this is boring. This sucks. You know, I did it for two years at Charleston. The second year, I got bored. And I'm like, hey, you guys go over there and throw. I'm going to go down with the linebackers and watch. Or I'm going to go with the whole line and watch because this is boring. You guys don't hit or do anything at all. But I took a different <laughs> approach this year for all line. We're not going to hit that much in practice. It's a different approach. Uh, Good. Drinking the Kool-Aid from Tony Holler, feed the cats thing. I'm like, I, I yeah. can't, can't, can't let them hit no more. They're going to hit once in a while, but like – less reps and we had a joint practice with Mattia when we did that and I will say this we we didn't move people as much as I wanted but we were hitting them and I'm like maybe there is something to this where we're not 
we're hitting bags or something instead of just hitting each other. That's my new take on O-line because I'm like, you guys got to be fresh. There's more mental reps than there is physical reps. That's my new approach. Yeah, I think there's something definitely to that. Um, there's obviously the physicality in the game, and, and you got to – if you're not physical, you got to do something to get to that point. But uh, I think uh, all that terminology or all that theology of uh, the feed the cats is good stuff. Like less is more sometimes. Yeah, I'm trying to get the whole team to buy in, and our head coach is a little bit, but he's also uncomfortable with some of it because he played linebacker in college. He played at North Central, so his mindset's a little different of, like, we need to hit a lot. And and he's slowly getting there. It's just he's still a meathead, so he, like, is like, just hit him. Just move him. And I got to be the one to reel him back in and be like, well, hold on a second. They're not you. These kids are not you that played at North Central where they dominate everybody. It's – we're dealing with high school kids that just cannot dominate people, or we're dealing with kids that are just trying to figure out their way in the world. We're still dealing with COVID kids. That's what I yeah. call them. Like, like I had a six six, two hundred eighty five pound lineman last year as a freshman. I got really excited, and I was like, I know some college coaches. Like, if I can get him right, I, blah, blah, I can tell anybody. And then he fails classes and takes summer school and all that stuff. And you're like, well, never mind. Like, it's not going to be worth your guys' time. Like, I would never send them to you. Like, hey, don't even do it. And that's the other battle we face is that these kids don't understand what college recruiting is like for baseball, basketball, or football. And they just think that, oh, they can just skate by freshman, sophomore year, and then their junior, senior year get the good grades. They're like, well, no, by that time, like, it's going to be really too late for recruiting. And then you're going to lose out on money, too, because, like, maybe Ottawa, I have no idea. Let's say we can offer you a partial scholarship, and if they're smart and they get academic scholarships, it helps ease the burden there. And that's why I try yeah. to tell them, like, full-ride scholarships are not what everything is made out to be. It's not everywhere. Like, especially baseball and stuff, like, you're going to get partial. There's no full-rides, U of I, Alabama, and all of them. You start getting everywhere else, they don't realize how little full-ride scholarships there is out there. Yeah, baseball's a tough sledding. Well, the way NAI is um... – Sometimes NAI schools have better scholarships for baseball. Um, the way our school works, it's kind of an average system. So they could bring in a full ride guy if they bring in, you know, four guys that aren't full ride that balance out, you know, their end of the book scholarship. And then they got to figure out within their scholarship ranges how many kids they can play. But you could get a better deal to come here than you could to go be the 40th guy at LSU. Okay. Does that is that how it works for football too, or is that different? Um, well, football's all you know at the Division One level is all all free, so yeah. it, it wouldn't be. But it, if it if it was like nickel and diamond at the football level, then yeah. And and who knows the flood rates? They may say, hey, you got eighty five scholarships, so you can break it up however you want over your eighty you know eighty five scholarships now. Um, go instead of. Hey, here's your 85 scholarships, and now you got to bring on 40 walk-ons. So, like for you guys, like do you guys have any full ride, or is it all partial for football? Yeah, so like it's all um, we we have no full full scholarship, so everybody's paying something. Um, but if they got a Pell Grant and they took out loans and stuff, then they could like uh-huh. if they're package and their grades and all that sort of stuff, it could work out to where they got a good deal. But we are not saying, hey, this kid is not paying anything regardless of his uh, 
economic situation or his academic situation. Uh, we don't do that here just because every, you know, we need money to operate. Do you, are you going to feel overwhelmed at doing O-line and try to be the head coach? Or are you going to find it more fun to kind of, I'm excited that? about it. Like I don't right now don't feel overwhelmed. Cause I do think as the head coach, you got to set the culture of your team. And if your O-line has a great culture, I think that's contagious, at least offensively. Um, but if they're working hard and they got great attitudes and stuff, you're hoping it rubs off on the, the defensive line too. So um, I think we're in different spots in terms of the culture on our team. I think our defensive culture is a lot better than mm-hmm. our offensive culture. Um, and it's easy, right? Like defense is such, I think, more team-oriented than offense is more me-oriented, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with the skill players. So um, I'm excited about just being in the room with those guys and, and getting them bought in and um, playing fast and violent. It is the best team meeting room in all of football, in my opinion. But that's just me because I've coached O-line. It's the best because you're going to find your own terminology with those guys better than anybody else. It's more fun, but it's the hardest one because there's all moving pieces that have to fit together and you have to watch all this, the footwork and you've got to like, where's your eyes? Where's your hands? Where's this? Where's that? Like, And then it's got to look good in unison. One guy doesn't do their job, it's noticeable. Every yeah. other position, a wide receiver can run the wrong route. But if he doesn't even throw it that way, you don't even pay attention. You're like, ah, well, he threw it to this guy. You know, on defense, if a guy gets blocked but another guy's free and comes and makes a tackle or does whatever, you're like, well, that guy, whatever. Oh, line, one guy doesn't do the job, it gets blown up. And, and that's why it's the hardest one. Yeah, no, that's what I think I'm most excited about. It's like, okay, if I'm a good football coach, I need to be able to get all five of these guys doing the right thing as many snaps as possible. And if I'm not a good football coach, then it won't happen. So that's kind of excites me of how good can I get these guys who will, I think, determine how good of a coach that I can be. Um, I think you answered this and I forgot. You just let your OC, like I said, it's your system. Your OC and DC just kind of do their own thing, right? You're just kind of like, hey, you guys got this. I'm going to sit in the meeting to make sure everything's going well, but you guys do your own thing. Because yeah, you know, it's hey Blake, uh you here's here's our defensive structure. Um there's obviously things that I like, um but yeah, you you run with it. And I'm not going to be on third and down belittling him because he made the wrong call that I wouldn't have made. Like give him the resources to be successful, help him out. Um but he's got to call the the game um, the way he needs to. And same thing with our, you know, I'll probably have a little bit more input because I'm coaching offense, but really it's going to be a collaborative effort during the week with our, our OC of, okay, here's the game plan. He's going to rely a lot on me from the run game standpoint. And cause he's coaching our quarterbacks and wide receivers that he's going to have to do a big chunk of the, the pass game and the RPO thing and, and come together. And then on game day, you know, I'm a, I'm a resource. If he needs help, I'm here. If if we're scoring 90 points a game, man, then he's doing a hell of a job, and it, it's nothing about me. It's it's those guys. Well, as I say, I think that helps them become better coaches if you're not looking over their shoulder all the time, making sure it's right. Like they're just plugged in, and you guys talk about. It. I think that helps them because then, like you said, they'll get a bigger job, and that's kind of what it's about. You know, they're not right. handcuffed. They're just kind of plugged in and said, "Okay, here's what you can do." 
uh, go have fun with it and do what you think is right. And then if it's not working, we'll discuss it and figure it out from there. Yeah, no, I think just giving them the the tools to be successful is the, the biggest stuff. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the tools I want them to use to be successful. So if true. they're not successful, I need to reevaluate what we're trying to do offense, defensively, and special teams um, because it's ultimately the things that I want to get accomplished. Um, there's that word that gets thrown around a lot called culture, and I fell into it during COVID. And then this year I realized, well, that word, what does that actually mean? So that's been what I've talked to people about. I'm like, I don't even call it culture anymore because you hear on the on ESPN all the time, their culture is not right. And I'm like, well, do you know what culture even means? Like, what, what the hell does that mean? And so when you took over as head coach, you had an idea of the school already. What was like, okay, you could call it culture if you want. I don't even know. Like, what's the standard? Like, you can't, when you took over, like, okay, here's my standard and here's what it has to be at Ottawa, like what was the first couple steps for Yeah, that? like I, I talked to everybody on the team, all the players returning and asked them what we were best at and everyone thought it was family atmosphere and what we thought we could do better and it was holding people accountable, not the necessarily the coaches, but the players holding the players accountable. And then um, they thought the one thing that was lacking uh, was the, the mindset of, Hey, when we go down, you know, there were several opportunities my first year as the DC where we're beating Kansas Wesleyan, who was a top 10 team in the country at, at halftime. And they come out and score two straight touchdowns. There was that mindset of, Oh, this is over. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not, okay, we can come back and, and, and take the lead. So I think that's the, the toughest one because until you're successful, it's, it's hard to think that you can be successful you mm -hmm. know, until you, see it so that's the the toughest one and so we wanted to strengthen the the family atmosphere and in, in our program that coach kessinger you know created we wanted the players so we started tracking everything in in, in terms of the accountability and then uh the mindset and and uh, so that's where we've started and it's always a, a challenging thing because once you think you have it figured out then you add new people to your organization, whether they're coaches or, or players. And ultimately everyone drinks the Kool-Aid if you're 10 and 0 and uh -huh. no one drinks the Kool-Aid if you're 0 and 10. So you have to see, those kids have to see success. We went two and eight last year. I thought we got better in terms of culture throughout the year. Um, and I thought we got better as a football program. And I think there was areas that we took better strides in the year when we were five and six, but ultimately from the outside and a lot of your players and the coaches and even me at times, right? I'm thinking, man, we're a bad football program because of that record, not necessarily uh -huh. the feel behind it. So it's, it's one of those things until you see success, you know, you're afraid to jump on board, you know, uh -huh. and it's, it's creating that success, whether it's in practice doing it or, you know, showing the kids you know biggest thing we, we would show is hey we lost a, a football game to a really good football team and i'd show if two of these plays on offense went different you know if we would have executed it had nothing to do with the defense and we would have executed two plays on, on defense and we would have executed two plays on, on offense when we had a chance that's six plays in a game and those six plays could have been the difference between winning and losing. And 
I'm a huge efficiency guy, and we go through the efficiency. When I've been a defensive coordinator and our defenses have been over 60% efficient within a game, didn't even matter what the offense did. We were like 22-3 and three in my career as a defense coordinator. When we were 55% efficient, uh, our win-loss record was different. When we were 50 or under percent efficient, we were a losing football team. So it, it all came down to being, you know, mm-hmm. efficient. And if you're one yard better on offense and one better yard on defense from the previous season, you can go from two and eight to eight and two by a, a yard of play, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being efficient. Um, so those are things that I think are just as important with the, the culture thing is teaching the kids about the game, right? Like, right. Um, you lose by five touchdowns, it could be a close game. You could lose by five touchdowns and you got, you know, massacred. You know, uh-huh. it's it's how do you execute in, in situations when your back's against the wall. So I think those are huge things that I try to educate our kids with, you know, after the games, you know, whether we won or lost, you know, you could win and you could be like, hey, if, you know, if you're a 10-0 and 0 team, if these two plays didn't work out in our favor here and those here and here, we would have lost, boys. Like, it shows you that the game comes down to probably less than 10 plays a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Kind of happened to us. We beat – we were down by six. Homecoming, we get the ball back with a minute 30. Or we're down by four or five. I don't remember. We drove down and scored. And we were and we got lucky. We had a pass interference call that got us there. And we were like, see, that one play for them screwed it up, but it helped us out. And we ended up winning. But we're like, if we didn't get that pass interference call, we lose. Or if this didn't happen, we lose. And because our kids thought we just won by 50. And I was like, that's great. You feel like you won by 50. That's great. But then on Saturday morning, you're like, well, hold on. Look at this. Like, because that's a good point. Everything comes down to that. It could be a couple plays. Like, not a burned play, but like a missed tackle. Or like, hey, you didn't hustle on this and there was a fumble. And if you would have hustled, you grabbed the fumble. But another kid hustled and they got it. You know, those type of things. And that changes the whole game right there. So that's a good it's point. It's a game where everybody's trying to be as perfect as possible, and it comes down to the team that's the most perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Coach, I took a lot of your time. I appreciate it because you're a big time now. You're a big time head coach. Um, good luck because I was looking at your guys' schedule. You guys have a tough schedule in NAIA. That's a tough – because I recognize some of those guys. Yeah. No, we uh, – our league is 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 growing. Um, we'll play potentially four to five ranked or receiving of votes opponents within our conference. Our whole uh, schedule is conference, so we go through uh, um, two divisions. So we play the the non division um, of our conference that doesn't go towards our conference standings. The first six games of the year, we get a bye, and then we play the five teams on our division. And uh, if we win our division or whoever wins our division goes to the playoffs, whoever wins their division goes to the playoffs. The NAI will have 20 playoff teams for the first time in uh, NAI history. So uh, we'll for sure have two teams from our conference go to the playoffs. And potentially if a, a third team does uh, well enough, they could be an at-large uh, program in the NAI playoffs next season. So uh, a bunch of, bunch of tough games. And I think the really cool part about it is – Every team in our league, uh, Evangel joins this season. But before that, every team in our league in the last 20 years has won a conference championship. Oh, wow. Um, and the worst team last year in our league 
was a team in a 20 year span that won 15 conference championships, you know, in the, the seventies and eighties. So, um, it's super competitive out here. It's like, okay. And there's a lot of years that a team could be four and six and the next year go 10 and zero, or, you uh-huh. know, something like that. Just, Hey, they went out and got the right transfer. Or they got the right kid eligible or they went out and just got good high school kids and, uh, build it from the, the ground up because Southwestern's a, was a, a top 25 team last year. Uh, when I coached here, they weren't the most successful program. Bethel uh, was a top 25 team. When I first here was the GA, they weren't the most successful program. Kansas Wesleyan is a, a top 10 team in the country and kind of the same thing. And now those are the three of the top dogs. Avila is an, another one of them. Like there's not an easy week here in this conference. Yeah. I was looking, I recognize some of it, I'm like, man, that's a lot of really tough games, like back-to-back or, or within a close span of that. That's a lot. Yeah, we got Coach Harrison coming up week two. I know you, you talk to him every once in a while. Yeah, he was supposed to come on, and then we couldn't make it work. Yeah, he because he was at Bethel, and then he went to Friends, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, he's a good guy, so it's not one of those things you have to hate him. He just – No. Because they're still good coaches at NEIA too, you know. Like, yeah, we're playing those guys in junior varsity. Like, so I, I, I like Coach Harrison. He's a good dude. He's all about his program. I want to be all about my program. But at the end of the day, there's good football coaches too, man. And you always think you're a rival, but you get there on game day and you talk to him. You're like, oh, this guy's just like me. Yeah, yeah. Came from high school and then went up to there. Yeah, yeah. I've talked to him a couple times. Um, man, a lot of people say yes to this podcast. I don't know why. Don't know why. Might be getting the old line coach from Colorado on, too. Well, yeah, it's that $1,000 check you send, right? Yeah, sure. That's where my stipend goes. I'm just kidding. There's no – no. I am not getting $1,000. If you guys did, then hit me up with my <laughs> I'm going to get a lawyer calling me soon. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Steve. You take care and best of luck. All right, and I'm looking forward to the, our next conversation. All right. Absolutely.